Welcome everybody to the Real Deal Podcast. It's almost New Year's. It's almost 2014. I'm your host, Maddie Marshall. I'm here with uh, Tim Montressor, and the reason why we're speaking today, other than the fact that you know Tim's just an all-around badass and an entertaining uh, individual, especially when you're conversating with him, talking about stuff. But uh, big move. You know, we, it's funny too because we just did a, a podcast about Thomas Taylor getting on Houston Heat, and now Houston Heat throwing another curveball to the paintball world. Looks like they're picking up uh, Tim Montressor, Greg Sewers, and Ryan Moorhead. Tim, is this correct? That is an affirmative, Maddie. Oh, wow. So, uh, well, first of all, how are you doing, man? How's, how was your Christmas? How was everything? Good, good. I went back to uh, Detroit, so it's about a six-hour drive through the snow. My parents got hammered over Christmas, so it was good, though. I uh, got to see some family. I usually don't get to see anybody with all, like, all the traveling I do. Yeah, I, I want to get into that too because you're one of those uh, rare guys that's kind of traveling all over and you've had quite a bit of uh, miles logged in this year and last year. So definitely oh, yeah. want to kind of talk about that a little bit too. But let's let's just get into it, man. How So, you know, you've been playing with Impact and I mean, you're formerly of the now defunct Philly Americans, Shock, um, Thunder. I mean, you've played on a lot of teams over the years and you've been doing this for a long time. And, uh, and you, you had a really good year last year. Impact took second uh, twice, the last two events. Um, lost to some penalties to a, a badass uh, San Antonio X-Factor at Cup. And it looked like, I thought, 2014 you know, could be a year that Impact could win some tournaments. And, uh, and definitely, it seemed like you guys were all happy over there, so I'm not really sure. I, you know, but then kind of looking at it, it's like this is kind of re- reuniting the Philly Americans. Yeah. Um, yeah, so- I mean, it was, it was definitely... Uh- you know, like I told everybody when it happened, I mean, this was probably one of the hardest decisions of, of my entire, maybe even life, just because I haven't had to make too many good decisions. I've been fortunate where a lot of good things happened my way. But, uh, you know, in paintball, I've actually only quit one one professional team. I quit Tipman Effect when I went pro with Thunder, but I mean, I think that's kind of an understood. Yeah. But I left Aftershock, and that's the only team that I ever really left, because, I mean, Thunder folded, Philly folded, I went to Shock, and that was an impact, so... You know, it was a tough decision, but we really got to wait a lot of options. And me and Ryan and Greg, we took a couple days and went back and forth. And thankfully, we had Christmas to kind of go home and talk to our families about it. And, uh, you know, we are where we are. Yeah. How? So how did it come about? I mean, did, well, did like, you guys go I, at Heat? Did Heat come at you? How did it go down? Well, the Heat guys have known that they're going to lose the Russians for quite a while, right? So, I mean, they knew they were going to lose the Russians since probably about Riverside. So since probably August, they knew. And... You know, I, we all moved out here. I guess I have to preface everything by saying, in 2005, I moved to Pittsburgh to work at Smart Parts and play with Philly Americans. And out here, I met Ryan when he was on Miami Effect, and he ended up getting out of Philly Americans. And he lives, you know, he used to live five minutes away from me. And then Chad George ended up moving out here when he was on the Philly Americans. Sam Monville moved out here. Um, and then over the years, like after Philly even broke up, um, everybody kind of stayed out here, right? You've been out here. It's a cool area. Oh, a lot of cool great. places to go. Yeah, it's great. I love it. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, it's a good place. Everyone likes being out here, and uh, all those guys have still been near me. So I actually moved to the next town over from uh, where, like, whenever you came and visited, we moved uh-huh. about 15 minutes east of here, and uh, all those guys ended up moving down the street from me. So all the Heat guys lived in a house maybe five blocks away, not even that, three blocks away from me. And uh, so I was kind of always on the, the loop about what was happening, and I, and I knew they were losing the Russians, and they kind of asked me and Ryan, and they kind of really weren't sure where it was going to go, and then uh, they kept asking us, you know, kind of throwing out there. And then, uh, you know, right before Christmas, it was uh, kind of sitting around with uh, Chad, you know, Yaya Boucher, and uh, just kind of threw something out there and uh, put together some scenarios that worked, you know, for 
all those guys and you know we really thought about it and we really really thought about it and it really wasn't an easy decision and uh at the end of the day you know we got a lot of friends a lot of family around here and uh you know it worked out i think we're all happy so far yeah i mean it totally makes sense now that you kind of describe it that way and when i first heard about it i was like wow that's kind of a shocker because we didn't really see that because you know impact did have such a good year and uh, you guys did finish strong. But if you really kind of break it down that way, I mean, that's how a lot of paintball works. Paintball is, you know, even within teams is very much like, I want to, you know, kind of always want to play with your friends if possible. And right. you just happen to be lucky enough to have really, really good friends I, who live. I know. I mean, this week, this weekend was crazy because like uh, over the weekend, Fatty, he just got discharged from the Marines on Friday. Mm -hmm. So he came up for the weekend. Keith DeVitt came down for the weekend. Like we had all these guys and we we're all hanging out all weekend. And I'm like looking around. And I'm like, man, I'm hanging out with these guys every single weekend. I don't even have to, I don't even have to drive to their house. I walk to their house. You know, it's logistically, it makes a lot of sense. We can practice in Pittsburgh some. I mean, even the guys in Chicago, Ronnie was out here. Dizon was out here two weeks ago. So. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I think that it, I mean, it does make sense. When you break it down that way, it makes a lot of sense. And right. it also makes a lot of sense for Houston Heat to pick up guys because, you know, like they've known that they were going to lose the Russians for a while, then it finally happened, and then, you know, they went after Thomas, and now they got you guys too. And, and the fact that, you know, you and Chad and you and Sam have played a lot of paintball together, and because you, you guys are so close, you know, that instantly makes Heat a contender again. So I think it's, it's going to be an interesting year. How do you think the year is going to break down for the team I and mean, with the new team? Is it going to take a little bit of time? you think you guys are going to start hitting it right away because you have so much history? or Because it's, it's been a little bit of time, right, since you guys kind of played together. Yeah, it's been some time. But, I mean, like me, Ryan, Sam, Chad, like we still go out and we play at local fields. And over the last couple of years, like when Chad was on Dynasty, but, like we played a bunch of local tournament series and stuff. So, I mean, it's kind of probably like when all maybe went back to Dynasty and just kind of pick it up. And... Uh, so are you guys, you had mentioned a little bit, you guys are going to have practice potentially in the Pittsburgh area. Are there facilities yeah. still out there yeah, that yeah. are good? Or? Yeah. yeah, I mean, well, we lost that, uh, that field where we had the Northeast Open here in 08. That, that closed down when Smart Parts went under. But uh, there's a Punisher's Paintball who has a, a huge online facility. Mm -hmm. um, there are uh, a lot of my local friends who want it. They, and they, uh, they have a field as well called Steel Town, which is maybe like 40 minutes from where we live. And they got a nice turf field. Uh, air in the pits and stuff. So we'll be able to set some stuff up out there this year. Nice. And then are you guys going to be, because I heard, are you guys traveling out to California? Because I know that uh, um, the Smiths have a house out here. So yep. you guys yep. coming out to practice out here too to get some reps in against, who, yeah, do you well, guys who know who you're playing yet? or? No, I mean, we're going out there actually on the 17th. So in just a couple, like three weeks, um, we'll, be we'll all be flying out there for like a week-long grinder. Nice. And then yeah, good. what are you, are you going to continue to kind of just gallivant across the earth like you have been for the past couple dude, of years? Or dude, what? I, I feel like I've literally just got home, right? So we had World Cup and then we went on to, after World Cup, we came home for a couple of days. Then we went to Tokyo, went to Malaysia, went to Maui, went to Mexico. I literally got home like two and a half weeks ago and we had Christmas. Now I got New Year's and then me and my girlfriend in one week are going to go to China for five days or something. Then we go to Thailand. Then I come home Thursday night and leave Friday morning to go to practice. Wow. Yeah. It's crazy, man. How, it is crazy. How was, uh, so how was that trip? What was the best part of it? You got any crazy stories for well, me? Man, like Tokyo was awesome. Like, have you ever seen those cube hotels? Yes. That people sleep in? Yeah. So we sought one of those out and I was like, dude, we are going to sleep in this cube hotel. I've been wanting to do it for a while. And so 
the second night we wandered around until we found like a pretty nice one because some of them were kind of sketchy looking. And uh, we had like eight of the impact dudes and we rented out all the little cubes in there and we stayed in there and it was, it was cool, man. I'm never going to probably do it again. I hope I never do it again in my life, but <laughs> you know, it was fun. Yeah. Good trip. And was this paintball or was this just for fun? Or I mean, I know Malaysia yeah. was paintball, so you kind of just tagged the other trips along with it. Yeah. I mean, to go to Malaysia, like, kind of takes, like, for us, especially on the East Coast, we got to go usually Pittsburgh to Chicago, Chicago to Tokyo, Tokyo to KL, then Kuala Lumpur to Langkawi, and the tournament's in Langkawi. So we figured we'd go in a couple days early and take our layover in Tokyo. So we stayed in Tokyo for four days and then flew to the tournament in Malaysia. And then since we were going to go in a week after that, we were going to go to Cancun to play a tournament there for GI in, in, uh, down there in Mexico. We decided we'd just jump on over to Maui for a couple of days since Bart owns a house there. Uh-huh. And uh, everybody hung out in Maui for like five or six days, and then we went to Cancun and played a tournament. Man, that is awesome. Yeah, dude. It's, that's, <laughs> I remember you know, part, those days. That, that was part of the hard part. You know, leaving Impact was like those guys, and we did a lot of fun stuff together. Yeah, how did they, so how did they take it? I mean, how did that go down? You know, because if we were blindsided, I'm sure they were probably blindsided too, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. It, you know, I, I talked to Bart for a long time before it all happened. I just told Bart, hey, this is out there. Like, we're thinking about it. it was, I, I think that was fair, right? That's the right way to do business. You let the guy that's treated you well and all, like, you're always considering it. And uh, so we talked to Bart. And, you know, I, I honestly, Bart's one of the, the most respected guys. I mean, anybody that ever knows Bart Yakimak knows he might be, he might be the coolest dude you've ever met. And, uh, he took it. He took it. You know, pretty well. He understood why we did it. You know, and uh, you know, I, as I guess as good as he could have taken it. You know, he was more bummed out than anything else. Because I mean, we really we had a lot of good times together. But he understood. So he understood that it was like, hey, man, these guys live right down the street from me. We all played together on the same team. I'm going back to the you know our boy Jay Trojan who coached us too. I mean, it's it really is kind of a Philly reunion under the Heat banner almost. You know. Yeah, I mean, he he understood. I mean, they you know there a couple years ago whenever everybody thought I was going to go to Heat back then. And uh, I stayed with Impact. And, I mean, I, I think he just kind of said the writing was on the wall. Yeah. And, and for a lot of people out there that, that maybe are new to the sport and don't necessarily know the history here, the Philly Americans were one of the big three legendary teams that um, were the prime movers in pro paintball. You had three teams, Ironman, Aftershock, and, the Philly, and, and at the time All-Americans. That became the Philly Americans when the NXL came around and the current format of paintball that we play. So those three teams set the pace and the tempo for how tournament paintball was played in the United States in their areas. Um, and there was other teams out there too, but those were the teams that won the most, the most frequently, had the biggest players, and you know, garnered the most press and the most respect. So then you were the captain of the Philly Americans when the team ended up uh, closing the doors, essentially, when Smart Parts went out of business. Oh, yeah. That was a sad, sad day, the end of 09. Yeah, and I mean, when the economy fell apart, it definitely hit paintball like it hit everything else, and that was one of the sad casualties of of the sport was uh, was the fact that this legendary team ended. You know, it's you know, it's uh, it's time in the sport. Yeah, but, but the players. You know, it, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. What were you saying? I was gonna say the hard part was like when everything happened, like, and we knew it was gonna happen for a little while, and uh, we really wanted to keep the team together, and uh, we had a couple people offer us some outside sponsorship from, well, I guess inside the industry, but different than. Uh, you know, the smart parts. But at the end of the day, like if the team wasn't owned by smart parts, it wasn't the same as the Philly Americans in the same way that Die owns the Ironman and Rennick owns Aftershock, right? It just, it wasn't the same and, you know, slowly peeled away. And that's why, you know, it's good to be back with all these guys. So 
I mean, how? I mean, you're still you're still getting it done out there, man. You started really well this year. Team did really well. You look good. Uh, I mean, how much longer are you gonna want to do this? And I ask this to a lot of the guys that have been in the game for you know ten plus years, especially. You know, I mean, it, it's on one hand, it's a miraculous thing. You're traveling around the globe. You're seeing all these cool places and meeting these cool people and playing this awesome game. But on the other end, it's it's one of those things that it's like it does wear you down a little bit because you are never home and you are completely focused on this for a little bit of time. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's that's a good good topic. That like we, I think we talked for hours. I mean, I, in fact, we have talked about it for hours. Yeah. Right? Um, the, I, I remember when Philly ended. Right, I was only probably twenty four twenty five then, and uh, I gave it good consideration. I was like, man, maybe this is like a sign that I'm supposed to be done. So I actually literally went out and bought a bunch of suits, started applying to corporate jobs. And I was like, man, that sounds horrible. And uh, so I didn't go very far with that. I uh, thought about waking up every day at 6 o'clock and riding the bus to work and putting on my jacket and tie, and I just wasn't ready for it. And uh, so I ended up going to shock. And uh, five years later, I guess, or four years later since I went to shock, you know, I still love it just as much as I did 15 years ago. So the reality is that I hope I can play for as long as possible. I mean, I, I still work with Todd Hugo. So I remember the day Todd Hugo retired at 40 years old in his 20th year of playing paintball. And uh, I just had talked to him the other day when we were having lunch. He's like, man, just keep doing it. Keep doing it for as long as you love it. And uh, I still love it. So the hope is I can do it for a long time. But I'm also a realist in saying that I know that it, it puts a lot of stress on uh, family and friends. So it is what it is. I mean, so I'm hoping I can play it for a long time. But, you know. Yeah. And that, well, that's, and then you already kind of answered my question, but that was. My next question is, do, do you still find joy in the actual act of playing paintball? Or is it that the paintball is simply what you must do in order to live this amazing, ridiculous lifestyle? Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not going to give some, some BS cliche cookie-cut answer that says, yeah, I love going out and playing with my friends like I did the very first day. I mean, it changes, right? Sometimes you go to practice and you're like, oh, man. I really don't want to be here this day, right? And then there's other times when you're sitting at a tournament and you're like, man, I hope I can get an early flight home. You know, but that happens, right? You do it 365 days a year, especially for me because I'm tied up with it for work in the industry. You know, I, I still love the competition and I still love the game itself. I mean, to say that I, I think about it and I read every magazine like I used to, no. But, I mean, I still want to play the game at the highest level. I'm going to plan to for a while. Yeah. And uh, so talk me through a little bit. I kind of want to pick your brain about how Impact ended the year and how you think they're going to do next year and who they're going to potentially go after. Um, talk me through World Cup, man. I mean, how disappointing was it for not only at World Cup to get second place, and this isn't your first second place at the World Cup in the finals before, <laughs> no. um, and, then, and then also you know, second place at the event before that as well. Yeah, I got a lot of second places in my life, which sucks. <laughs> but the one at World Cup, this was a tough one. I, uh, I played a lot of finals at World Cup, which is a good and a bad thing, right? So I got lucky enough to say that I won one in 2004, my first year on the Philadelphia Americans. We won a World Cup. And then I went on a little hiatus. And then we played in the finals in 08, and we lost to the Ironman. Played in 09 with Philly, we lost to the Russians. Played again in the finals with Aftershock, lost to the Russians. And then, let's see, I missed it in... 11 and 12, went back this year and lost to X Factor. I can say the first three years I lost it, when I lost to Ironman Russians and the Russians again, I feel like we got straight up beat by a significantly better team no matter what would have happened. I think X Factor is a really, really good team. I mean, they played the best that I've ever seen them play. 
but we also shot ourselves in the foot. I mean, I think, what do we get, four or five penalties? Well, you got three penalties in the closing points, and that definitely did not help you. Dave got a minor, and then J-Rab got a major, and then as soon as J-Rab got out of the box, JC got a major. Yeah. And so, I mean, and that was those end, uh, end of the game, crucial time, worst time to ever get penalties. So, yeah, that did not help. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, maybe it's like our own ego, right? You're still letting the loss set in, but I felt like we were playing good enough to win that tournament. I don't think... Like I said, the other three times we played, I don't think we were playing good enough to win those tournaments. We got to play by better teams, right? But this one, I thought it could have gone either way, and you know, we just didn't step up when it was time, and so it made that loss really, really tough. That was a really tough loss. So, how do you think Impact is going to react to them losing? Because I mean, you know, they they have a very deep roster. And right. I mean, that was one of the strengths of Impact this year was the fact you guys had so many weapons. So whatever look that was put out there for Impact this past year in 2013, it was tough for teams to deal with it because they had so many, you know, you guys had so many different guys that could play different spots and uh, and get it done out there at a really high level. Um, but you know, now they're losing you, Ryan. And uh, so, you know, one of the most consistent players, you, uh, one of the most, you know, one of the best offensive attackers in the league, or actually two of them, you know, Ryan and Greg. Um so who are they? Do you know if they're going to pick anybody up to? Uh, I don't know. You guys, I, mean, I, I know that right after we left, they went on a uh, you know a conference call to kind of put everything together. Um, that was kind of like our last farewell as they're organizing their conference call. But you know the one thing about Impact, and I think why we did so well last year and why we we're so excited about this coming up year is some teams it's hard to play two lines, right? It's hard to play ten guys pretty evenly. You know, sometimes you have a guy that doesn't perform, or you got some guys that aren't ready yet. But I think Impact last year had especially towards the end of the year, had 10 solid guys that were, you know, could play at any point in time whenever the number was called. And the team picked up Rainey this year, who was, you know, who's been a great player for a long time and, uh, you know, only added even more depth to the team. So, I, I mean, losing us, I, I, I mean, I don't know, because I guess I'm kind of caught, like, in, in between what's being an egotist and what's not. I mean, losing them doesn't help, but, you know, I think they'll also consider, you know, I think they should be considered a legitimate finals team still with the seven guys they have. I, I agree. Uh, I mean, you know, paintballs, we say this a lot. Paintball is very positional. And you can't just look at, okay, well, who do they have on the team as, you know, as a whole? It's who plays what positions. And when you look at the, you know, I think both the ACMAX have really been stepping their game up past couple years. I thought they played great this season. And uh, as long as, you know, I mean, they still got Dave and J-Rab, and now they got Rainey. Rainey's incredibly versatile. Um, you know, is Joshua Met healthy? Is he good yeah, to go? Yeah, yeah, he's good to go. Yeah, so, I mean, when Mets, he's a soldier. He's really good, too. I mean, the, the team is definitely still has the talent. I'm just wondering if they're going to grab somebody else to solidify and kind of get that depth that does add different looks, which adds complexity to your team and right. having to try to, you know, uh, scout yeah, the team I, out. I mean, the, sorry, they're going to have to go out and do something, right? I mean, you, I mean, maybe they go with seven or eight guys, which is okay. I think that it's actually okay in today's era where you only play a first to seven. But... You know, the, the, the problem is that the, the, the free agent market or whatever you want to call this, right? I mean, I guess it's not really like the NBA, but like the guys, the guys available to take right now, it's, this is one of the thinner years. Yeah, it, it definitely has been a relatively thin year. And, and I, it, I, I don't know, heading into this offseason, especially with Art Chaos coming in, I didn't really know how things were going to shake up. But it seemed like, you know, you know Art Chaos threw out a bunch of offers to guys. It seems like a lot of people are, are pretty happy staying with where they're at. Um, for the most part, it seems like. And, and that's good. You know what I mean? That's good. I'm glad. I mean, I, I feel terrible because I might slowly becoming the one person I never thought I was going to be, right? I, I honestly wanted to finish my career with Philly Americans and spend 20 years with that one team. But, you know, and, sometimes you got to get up, 
search around a little bit before you find the last closing fit? Well, you know, it's it's definitely because we're always talking to, you know, guys that have played on a lot of teams or guys that just went from one team to another. And so this question has definitely come up most recently here in the offseason on the, on the podcast because, you know, we talked to Rainey when he went to Impact and talked to him about this situation and talked to Thomas. And, you know, with Rainey, it was a situation where Rainey's, all of Rainey's boys that he originally came up with and that he would feel some sort of allegiance to uh, play for different teams. And, you know, so at that point in the game, you know, he's essentially playing because he gets paid. He does obviously still really enjoy it. In fact, Randy's more stoked on paintball now than he ever be, ever has been. And I think that, you know, it comes from you get a little boost when somebody's giving you a little bit of money and you're now a real, real pro. You know, which he's been for a, a while now. But, you know, I mean, he's not playing with those, all of his buddies. He's playing because... You know, he's really good at this. He really enjoys it, and it's a unique opportunity to do something really cool with his life. But it's he's gone past that, yeah, I just want to play with my buddies, and, you know, this is for the boys and that sort of thing. And then with Thomas, it was really tough for him because, you know, Thomas had been, you know, talk about playing on one team your entire career. That was Thomas. You know, I mean, he yep. guessed it with a couple other guys, but, you know, his allegiance had always been too excessive. And, you know, but for him, it's a situation where he's got two kids now and his oldest is about to go into school and, you know, he's trying to look towards the future and try to get anything he possibly can get out of, you know, his remaining years. And, and it just, it, you know, he wanted to make the move and can't really fault him for that. And for you now, it's like you're going back to your boys, which is kind of interesting. But, yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody looks at you as that, like, who's going to give me the best deal type guy. I mean... You know, you're, you don't have that reputation, man, and this this isn't really, you know, when you look behind the scenes here and see why this move was made, it, I don't think that this is going to get you that rep either. So I think, yeah. I think you're no, safe, I mean, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> you never know, but I... Uh, Some people I, I will mean, say it. It's out there, bro. You know, some people will say yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, it, it is what it is, and, you know, things happen and they, they come up, but, I mean, I could have probably, I would have been happy, I would have been more than happy to play the next five years, six years, three years, however long I've left to play, and finish on impact. I would have loved that. That could have been, I could have finished playing paintball and been more than happy. And, uh, you know, this was just an opportunity that came up that we had to take. And as far, I mean, have you guys talked about positions at all or squads? I mean, have you and, you know, Jay Tro sat down and kind of talked about this? I mean, I'm, you know, it comes up when you're drinking beers at the bar is kind of, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I, uh, I just, Jason works like 30 feet away from me too. So, I, uh, I just talked to Jason for about five minutes, but like we didn't really have a, time, a chance to really sit down and talk about it because I mean all this just got done on Saturday night, right? So we haven't really got that far. That's why we're going to go out to San Diego in January and kind of hash it out. Yeah, no, that's just definitely smart. And things are shaping up to be pretty interesting this year. I mean, what are your thoughts on you know the teams this year, and who do you think you guys are going to hopefully be playing for first and second at these events? Man, I'll tell you what, the pro league is getting so good. Like. It used to be there was a time when you would know the guys were going to be on Sunday. You'd be like, okay, it's always going to be the same teams that make Sunday every event. But especially with the way the league is now and you take 10 teams in the champions and only four go on, I mean, it's wide open, man. You lose one game and you don't get the margin right, you're out on Sunday. So, it's, I mean, it's so hard for me to predict, to predict consistently. But, you know, I mean, there are some teams, I guess, that are usually perform better than others. I mean, you got Art Chaos, Dynasty, Damage. I mean, Heat now, Impact. Right. Plus, then you can throw in the fact that Infamous can win an event any day. X Factor just won World Cup. I mean, that's seven or eight teams alone, right there that can win an event. Yeah, I mean, which is what to me makes it really exciting to watch, and I can't wait to see what happens at the first event. And I mean, it, it's gonna be—it's just gonna be another one of those bloodbath years, man, for sure. I, and it's—it's it's almost impossible to tell. I mean, how you know how dominant is our chaos gonna be? 
And Oof. I mean, Dynasty isn't picking anybody up. They're not cutting anybody. Um, you know, so they're going to be, you know, another threat again this year, as always. I mean, they won two events in the beginning of the year last year and took second at the third one. Um, but then they went into World Cup and, you know, they, there was two games and the, they didn't make Sunday and there was two games that they actually got shut out in the prelim. So, you know, they're going to be, they're going to, which when was the last time? I can't even I remember the last time that happened. So they're going to be hungry. And you guys, are, Heat's definitely going to be hungry. I mean, it's, you know, a lot of it is, you know, who's looking to prove themselves. And when you look across the board, there's, I mean, every one of these top teams has a really good reason to go out there and try to, you know, have their best games um, because there's a lot for them to prove, you know? And, yeah. uh, I mean, look at, you know, Infamous, they underperformed all year long. So if they can maintain their core, um, and, uh, you know, then they're definitely going to be out for blood in 2014. You guys now heat reform. So Heat's going to, you know, try to reclaim their for former glory, both from the, you know, incarnation <laughs> or the reincarnation of the Philly American crew now playing under heat. So it's like, all right, we've done this before with this group. Let's do it again now. And then, you know, Heat's kind of definitely now with picking all you guys up has really made a statement to the league like, hey, you know, we're, we're in it to win, try to win tournaments again, man. So, yeah, and, no, uh, definitely. I mean, Sarge, Sarge is serious, man. Him and, him and Mama D are, are two great owners. I mean, they, they love paintball. They love to be competitive. And, you know, and after talking to them for a while, like it was, we knew it was a good fit. So, well, should be good. good. Yeah, no, it, it's definitely going to be good. Um, you know, one of the things I always ask people about when we, you know, get into these podcasts is their history. You know, it's like, and where they, where people came up from. Cause I think a lot of guys coming up the ranks might be able to learn some lessons about how, you know, <laughs> you were able to get into the position that you're in now. So, you know, where, where did, where did the, uh, where did the Tim Montressor legend begin? I, you know, this is a story that I like, I remember we were sitting in LA, right? We we're sitting in this grimy little bar in Riverside. Cause we all flew out there early and it was yep. me, you, Zach, J-Rab. Well, Zach was kind of there. He was like there in spirit. And, <laughs> and we're sitting there talking. And I'm like, man, it is unbelievable how few people are left over from 10 man. Right. It's, it's crazy. Like it's unbelievable how many people forgot about that. And I, I, I actually vividly remember that moment, I guess. For all things considered, I remember most of it, but like <laughs> I remember talking about that and like thinking about how crazy it is, how few people are left from that era. Was this b before or after Zane and Zach started punching each other in the face? Uh, this was this was after because I think we had to get rid of Zane. We had to separate the two, so I think we, we pushed Zane away <laughs> and we chose Zach because he seemed to be the most coherent. Yeah, I remember. And we went in that grimy little bar, right? And they had those gross little shots of tequila. Oh God, that was disgusting. <laughs> I just, threw, I just threw up in my mouth a little bit. Oh, man, that. that was a rough night. And yeah. I had to go to work at like 7 a.m. the next day. Oh, torture. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I, I remember thinking about that, though. It's, you know, I grew up playing 10-man, and, I mean, this isn't like kissing anybody's ass, right? But I remember watching you and Rich and Micah and watching, you know, the All-Americans watching Billy and Adam play. And, uh, you know, those are the guys that I always grew up watching. And I, I think it's, it's a shame that we don't have records and we don't have video footage or we don't have – more history in relation to that period of, of, of paintball. Maybe that's just because that's what influenced me the most. But I mean, I remember sitting at World Cup, and we, there were no bleachers back then, right? You'd have to climb up, if you're lucky, onto like some light pole, and you hang off the light pole to try to watch the games. <laughs> and so, I mean, that's where I grew up, where you were playing out in that cow pasture, right? And you hope that you don't have a lot of cuts and it doesn't rain, or you're going to get a staph infection when you slide all that, slide all that crap in the corner. Yep. And, but that was cool, though, man. There were like 350 teams there, and like paintball was a little more dirty and a little more lawless back then. And uh, 
you know, that's how I grew up. I grew up like before this webcast. And as much as I love this webcast, it's so awesome. I think it's blowing everything up. And that's what's making this coming up here the most exciting. I kind of miss a little bit of that like grimier side of paintball. Yeah, well, I mean, to me, one of the reasons that we work so hard on this webcast and one of the reasons I'm so passionate about trying to get these stories out there is because of exactly what you said, man. I mean, if you don't have the history there, if you don't have the ability to see the best do what they do and, you know, have different levels of appreciation for the game, both strategic and statistical and personality-wise as far as who plays it, I mean, you know, it's the thing about paintball is that it is a fascinating thing because of the people who play it. You know, I mean, there's, yeah. you know, it's it's like I was listening to, uh, it was actually two really interesting things that I got out of this doc. Have you ever seen the documentary? Uh, from, and it's actually interesting we're bringing this up now because of what happened this weekend. Did you see Anderson Silva's leg? Uh, disintegrate. Ooh, gross. Yeah, it's gross. just disintegrate, disintegrated against Chris Weidman's <laughs> knee. But, you know, so in the run up to that, uh, um, to watch that fight, I was finally able to check out this documentary from, from Anderson Silva, and it was, it was called Like Water. And, uh, and it was, it was a really interesting documentary. It was when he was getting ready for his first fight against Chal Sonnen. And Anderson Silva at the time had kind of, you know, got this you know, he hated doing interviews and he'd been doing this for so long at such a top level that it was just kind of a pain in the ass to have to sit through all the pomp and circumstance of what he did. Because to him, he just, he's a martial artist and he just wants to go out there and, and just fight. That's the most important thing to him. But to a guy like Chao Sonnen, Chao Sonnen, you know, who's kind of a douche in his public persona, you <laughs> oh, know, yeah. but, but that, but he plays the heel, you know, because he understands like, yeah, this, we're, this is about fighting, but no, until you actually, you know, incite the people who could potentially be your fans, either love you or hate you, to try to, to actually watch it and inform them of what's going on. And I mean, obviously, Chow takes it to like a whole nother level. But you know, he there was this one interview where this this interviewer was asking Anderson questions, and he literally was just giving yes or no answers. Like they'd ask him a question about like, so you know, talk us about to your training. Like, what's it been like? I mean, have you had any? Has there been any stumbles or stuff you're working on? And he's just like, no. Yes. He's just saying like, yes and no. And Chow kind of loses it. And he's like, and he had, but he had a very good point. And he's like, Anderson thinks that this is about, you know, that this is about fighting. And it is to a certain extent. But if you don't convince people to want to see you fight, then it doesn't mean shit. And that's kind of the same thing with paintball is that I'm interested in the sport because of the people that play it and, and the sport itself. Yeah. It's, it's this, you know, first of all, paintball is a microcosm of life, and you are, and there's a trial that happens on every exchange, every single gunfight, every point, every tournament. You are tested over and over and over again, and you get to watch these these people that you you know learn learn about them, their personalities, and how they train, and what they're up to in their past, and it sets this fascinating set of circumstances up that you get to see what happens. You know, and and it was really interesting. Um, yeah, that is cool. Yeah. I love documentaries about that. Dude, you should check that one out. There was another interesting part of that too, where because uh, Anderson had to deal with um, you know a lot of haters, kind of in the the fight that he had fought before the first Chow Sonnen fight, because he just totally clowned this guy and he was getting hated on a little bit, and you know part part partly rightfully so, depending on how you think about those sorts of things, and you know, either way is you can make a logical argument for both ways. But so one of his boys comes up to him while they're in the gym and he tells him this parable. He, and it's all in Portuguese, but it's subtitled, but it's a great one. And it basically was like, uh, a bird is flying north with his flock to a far northern land. Along the way, he gets lost and lands in a field where it's really cold. So completely lost and not knowing where the rest of his buddies are, 
this bird is trying to figure out what to do, but as he's sitting there on the ground, it becomes so cold that he can't move and he starts, you know, to die from freezing. And as he's sitting there about to die, a cow walks over the top of him and takes a gigantic shit on top of his head. <laughs> and then as the, you know, the, the poo is warming him back to life and he's trying to struggle to get out of the poo, then a cat comes and pulls him out of the shit and eats him. Moral, moral of the story, not everybody that shits on you is your enemy, and not everybody that pulls you out of the shit is your friend. <laughs> uh, I like that. I'll remember that one. Yeah, right? That was a great one. <laughs> I was like, man, this, uh, this documentary is awesome. But yeah, it was, it was definitely interesting. But, but that's the thing is that there's, you know, it is, you know, having grown up back then, and that's what initially fascinated me, fascinated me about the game. It was actually cool because uh, um, at work uh, – one of the original Ironman, I was just sitting there trying to work on some writing and get things ready for some shows we're doing. And I look up and I see Clayton Kyle. Remember Clayton Kyle? Oh, yeah. I remember Clayton. Yeah. So I see Clayton Kyle. I'm like, oh, man, I haven't seen Clayton in years. But it's, he's older now and his kid's 15. He's a big 15-year-old and he's like some baseball stud. And so he was, you know, down in San Diego to, uh, to go check out some colleges um, and, uh, so we were just sit there catching up and he was telling all these crazy stories about, you know, Bob Long and all the old school days. I really want, I didn't have time, but I, at the, t at that particular time, but I want to get him on a podcast the next time he comes down, hopefully with Shane, that would be awesome. Um, yeah. but yeah, growing Those guys have great stories, man. That's one thing that I think like, maybe it's just the, the change in age, right? That it is now, but I still see Spesh and Todd all the time. I still see, I don't remember. If you remember the Bump Brothers, right? Chris and John Davis. I still see Graham Easton, Billy and Adam. I obviously worked for them. Like I still see all these guys that played from you know the '90s, right? When it was a different time, and paintball was lawless, man. Yeah. And the stories that those guys have are great. Oh, because at that time, and it still is that. I mean, there's still this personality still exists in the game, but it's just diversified so much. But uh, but it was funny too because you know we ended up becoming you and I became good friends and I actually really uh, became friends with the guys that were on the Philly Americans at the time of uh, you know your incarnation of the Philly Americans um, but when I when I came up you know we were raised to uh, respect aftershock and hate the all-americans you know oh yeah and uh, <laughs> and I'm sure it was the same on the East Coast but it was just it was just a it was it was definitely a lawless world because the people that played it were a little bit older almost 100% male, rough and rugged guys that were kind of sometimes on the fringes of society, whether they're like gnarly construction workers spit and dip or, you know, richer dudes, you know, whatever. There was just all yeah. shapes and sizes, but it was like, I remember when I started playing and I was the youngest guy by like a decade almost, you know, <laughs> <laughs> all these older dudes are just giving you the business constantly. And, but, uh, but yeah, so, so you started, where did you actually start playing in Detroit? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's where I first started playing competitively, right? My dad did, uh, he does consulting for uh, supply chain management, so like large-scale distribution. And uh, so we had, had to kind of move around a lot when I was a kid. And uh, I always grew up playing a lot of sports. I grew up playing football and rugby and basketball. But when you're moving around, sometimes it's hard to kind of get on a team and get into everything. And uh, I remember when I was in Georgia and I was on a team and all the guys went out to go play paintball. And I was like, you know, I got to kind of hang out with these guys and get to know them. And I was probably maybe 14 and went out and played paintball. And literally the first time I played, I was hooked. And the next time my mom bought me a paintball gun, she bought me a Spider TL. Or Spider, yeah, it was a TL. It was the bottom line edition. Ooh, damn, baller. <laughs> it was in 1999 she bought me that. And uh, I was hooked from there. And then I moved to Detroit the next year. 
And uh, I started playing some local tournaments. I met guys. I actually met Fatty. You know, if you remember Fatty from the All Americans, mm-hmm. I met him uh, when I was a sophomore in high school. And uh, we started playing together. Started playing a bunch of local three mans. And uh, around there, the big teams were Detroit Fusion, who you know for a long time were you know when they're amateur, especially were really really good. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Detroit Fusion, I did, you know, if I was lucky, I'd drive down to Chicago and watch AfterShock play at the Badlands. And then uh, eventually, I got on Tipman Effect. So I got a Tipman Effect after playing, you know, a bunch of local tournaments for two or three years. I got a Tipman Effect uh, in '02, and Jason Trozen actually got me on Tipman Effect. So him and uh, him and uh, this kid Grant Butler, um, who both ended up playing on Fusion, got me and Fatty on the team, and uh, that was kind of the first time we had like a good sponsorship, right? We had a super good deal on paint. They paid for our entry fees. We had to fly the tournaments. They helped us out with hotels. Like it was a good deal, especially when you're 17. Totally. So, and we're flying around all the PSPs, and we were horrible. Well, it was the MPPLs, but we were terrible back then. But it was cool because I was there, right? I mean, I was, watching, I was watching the Ironman play, and I was watching, you know, all Americans play. And I'd already been going to some PSPs, but now I was, like, playing against these guys. And I was, like, that was a whole new experience for me. And did that kind of open up in your world a little bit where you were, like, wow, maybe this is something that I can, if I work Yeah, on you know, what really blew it up for me was when I got on uh, – you know, X Ten Men ended, which was kind of a sad day, and X Ball started, and uh, Crossman came in, and uh, you remember Crossman and the, the skull mask and stuff, mm-hmm. and they uh, they said, hey, we want to put some money into like a legitimate team, and uh, Mitch Carn, who was with Lockout back then, ended up with Mark Worrell, who was the captain of Detroit Fusion then, and they kind of merged teams, and uh, whatever whatever direction Fusion was going with, I decided like I was going to kind of leave an amateur team and go pro with them. Because um, I was only 18 or so, but I was like, you know, I'm ready. I want to do it. I want to kind of commit part of my life to this. And uh, when we got with Crossman, like they, they're like, we're going to make this professional, right? We're going to fight you guys around the country. We're going to give you guys a small salary, you know, whatever you guys need to need to do. And that's when I was like, man, this is this is what I'm going to do and chase for the next decade or so of my life. So, and unfortunately, that didn't last as long as I would have liked because uh, we weren't very good. Uh, there's only one team that we could beat, um, and that was the Los Angeles Ironmen. So, <laughs> you guys were the only team we could beat that year. Kick rocks, Tim. How about that? What, was this 2002? 2003. 2003. Yeah. 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 That was a rebuilding year for us, bro. Come on, man. Yeah, same for us, too. <laughs> and, and, you know, I'd always grew up, grown up in the Midwest, so I wanted to put on Aftershock. And uh, when Detroit Thunder folded, I remember I was sitting at work and I was like, I was a kid, so no one, it's who's going to call this 18, 19 year old kid out of the blue? And out of the blue, obviously, I get this call. And if you've ever known Spesh, he, he, he mumbles a lot, right? So sometimes he calls you up, he's like, hey, what are you doing? But he, he got a filter between what he's saying to understand. And I swore it was Jeremy Psalm. I was like, this guy kind of sounds like Jeremy Psalm. I think he's asking me to play on Aftershock. <laughs> so then I hung up the phone. I was like, I think I'm going to go trial for Aftershock. That's pretty cool. And then, like, 10 minutes later, Daryl calls me. He's like, yeah, Spesh talked about coming and play with the All-Americans, right? I was like, no. I thought I was playing with Aftershock. <laughs> and, and honestly, as funny as it sounds, they bought me a ticket before the 04 Mardi Gras. I don't know if you guys went because I think you guys were on excessive then, but it was the one where it just poured and it rained and it was miserable. And uh, oh, I went I, I went to that, but I wasn't playing. I was just helping Durder uh, do some filming stuff. Yeah, and it was so poor. I went and didn't have to play. Thank God, because that was one of the worst tournaments other than Galveston last yeah. year it was miserable and they bought me a ticket to fly down i didn't even go to practice with the team they bought me a ticket like a week before the event and they're like the tournament's going to be your practice your trial and i was like well that sucks so i get down there and it's muddy right and i was an 18 19 year old kid and frank connell's like you got to go to the snake on the break every point i'm like dude there's like five feet of mud 
So I got shot out of the break every point. I don't think I shot anybody that whole event. And I'm like, well, this sucks. I'm not going to have a team again, right? I flew all the way down here, and I sucked. But thankfully, the LA Open was like three weeks after the Mardi Gras that year. Like, the scheduling was just ridiculous. And uh, I had a really good LA event. I got to know all the guys on Philly and, uh, you know, decided that that's where I wanted to be. And I ended up being there for the next five years. Yeah, I mean, until the team fell apart. Because yeah, and I would have still been there. Yeah, that was that was sad. You know, I mean, it really was sad to see because you guys had built the team up to be a winner finally again. You know, yeah, yeah. took a long time. Took a lot of like it legitimately took a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. You know, for all the cliches, like we went through a lot of different trials and errors and trials and errors and practicing indoors, outdoors, flying here, flying there, trying to pick up people, and it was a lot. You know, and we finally got the team back to where we thought we're like, man, we could have a really, really good year at the end of 09, and then we found out everything that was happening with Smart Parts, and it was a really sad day. And then the bankers ruined it all. Oh, the bankers. The bankers. Yeah, damn bankers. Take all their money. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, I mean, you land on defeat. But it was, I mean, kind of a blessing in disguise because, at the, I mean, you got a master's degree out of that, though. You know yeah, what I mean? you know, it, it was actually, and I, it's terrible as it sounds because I feel horrible because, you know, it was the end of the team. It was the end of Smart Parts. It was the end of, you know, hundreds of people's of jobs, and it was a really, really sad day. Is is bad as it sounds, it was really good for me because I was at a point where I was like, I kind of want to go back to grad school, right? And I was kind of considering, you know, what's my next step after paintball, and I want to prepare now than later. And uh, I started looking into grad schools, and, man, grad school is not cheap, right? It's, you know, thirty, forty thousand dollars sometimes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I qualified for a lot of grants and loans whenever the company went under that sent me back to grad school pretty much, you know, on government grants to cover the entire thing. So I banged it all, a two-year program all out in uh, 13 months and uh, finished with a master's degree. So it was good. Were you still playing when you got your oh, Man, it was rough. Because <laughs> well, yeah. a lot of people are like, well, you know, I can't do school and paintball at the same time. Like, I did it. Tim yeah. did it. Lots of guys did it. You can do it, you know? And I think that that's an important thing, too, because when God, some younger guys might hear this and be like, oh, my God, Tim gets to go to, you know, Mexico and Asia and Tokyo and, and, and everywhere else and have this crazy awesome life. But, one, you earned that the hard way. And, uh, and two, you still were, you know, getting your, your stuff taken care of in the back end, you know, as yeah, just to have yeah, a safety no. valve in case, you know? It was hard. I, well, I, did my, I started at Michigan State, and I went there for a little while. And then I was like, man, this is too much. And I, I was really getting in the grind when I was on the Tauntauns. I was traveling to Europe a lot. I ended up doing the last two years of my college on, online, which I really didn't like that much. I mean, I like to go to brick and mortar and you know, give the presentations and you know, meet the girls or whatever. It's just <laughs> I, I like going to college. Right? I actually enjoyed it. And uh, so I went, when I decided I was going to go back to grad school, I was like, man, I gotta, it's hard for me to work. And so I, you know, I made a bunch of money doing clinics, you know, guessing with some like, local teams, playing some local tournaments, help coach here and there. And I just put my nose to the grindstone, man. And for 13 months, I was school for every second that I wasn't at paintball. And I remember when I, I first got on impact, my first tournament was Huntington Beach 2011, right? I, got, I finished an exam Thursday night. And then I drove to the airport because I got out of class at 10, drove to the airport, got on a 5.30 flight to Huntington Beach, got off, got a cab. I hadn't slept all night drove to the field, put my gear on in the car, and literally ran to the field as the guys were chronoing to play the first game. Wow. Yeah, and then we ended up, it was, you know, it was crazy, and we ended up doing pretty well that tournament. And, uh, you know, what, what, the thing I always tell people is once you finish school, they, no one can take that away from you. Yeah, that is very true. And, you know, I mean, the, when we're talking about, you know, Rainey, any of these guys, that, I mean, it, you're definitely not going to come straight out the gate from an amateur team and make any money at this. You might end up on a pro team and maybe get a gun here, a gun there, two guns a year, or whatever it is. 
but it's not going to be anything you can live on. So, I mean, people do need to, you know, hopefully we can get the sport there as soon as we possibly can. And there are guys that are making a living at this, but they put so much into it before they were able to get to that level. And, yep. uh, and so that definitely needs to be said too, that, you know, people need to, you know, understand that the dream is possible, but that, you know, you gotta be careful and make sure that you're getting things taken care of in the regular world too. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you were you worked at Dye for a while. I mean, you know how nice it is if you can work in the industry right, for your sponsors. Yeah, I mean, I was when I first got on the Ironman, I was uh, managing at a movie theater actually, um, which and I, you know, when I was sixteen, had a job and then found paintball and started working uh, at the field in the store local here in San Diego. And then once I got on the Ironman, uh, you know, was able to, to get a factory job. I mean, that was just basically, you know, cleaning, making, if you, if you bought a dye barrel between the years of late 1998 and about 2001, maybe 2000, I made that barrel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I a mean, two piece like barrel, at, not the, not the, the ones time, like, yeah. Those were the best. Those were the best for a long time, man. I was a huge fan and a huge fan of dye barrels. I own so many boomsticks. Well, uh, let me tell you, I put some careful craftsmanship in each one yeah. of those. A little bit of tender I, love and care into every barrel. <laughs> I might have to say that I think that the, uh, the the freak barrel might be a little bit better now. I'm saying I'm going to plug that out there. <laughs> so watch out, watch out, 2014 for some new stuff. But that was a good barrel. I, I like those a lot. Well, back in the day, they literally had to be glued together. So, you know, oh, yeah. and each piece was, you know, you had to kind of make the aluminum and the stainless because though obviously they were put to certain tolerances, some just fit better than others. And when you put that thin layer of epoxy in there and then you the longer ones, you'd have to roll and kind of, so it took a little artistry to kind of make a two piece barrel before they finally figured out, well, why don't we just thread these things? <laughs> I, I don't know why we didn't do that from the first place. Like, right. I remember, I remember playing and I'm shooting and you, if you wanted to get your, your tips anodized, right, to match your gun, they had to heat it up, pull it apart, send out to the anodizer and re-glue it, which mm-hmm. is ridiculous. So I remember I had this like $2,000 Angel when I was in high school, which God knows how I even afforded it. And I'm shooting it, and the tip of my barrel falls out in the middle of the game. I'm like, why don't they just thread these stupid things? And thankfully, they started threading them like the next year. Yeah, and then sure enough, and that happened. But yeah, you know, so it's, I don't know. I mean, if you want it, if you want something, I don't care what it is, you'll find a way to make it happen. Yeah, and, you know, and that, that's true with paintball especially. Yeah, exactly. But that's, you know, one of the ongoing themes of this podcast is kind of the, you know, applicable lessons that you can pick up from being in the paintball world and living a paintball lifestyle and translating that to the regular world. And, uh, and those lessons are rife, man. There's tons of them, and they're all over the place. Um, but it is, it, was, it is cool to see guys like yourself, you know, get your degrees and still be able to play at the top and having to do whatever it takes. You know, sometimes you got, like you said, travel all night and play with no sleep, you know? Yeah. And I, I've, I've been saying it for a long time. And I, I remember when, when Sam and Chad were, were kids in high school and I was like, man, you guys got to stay at some point focused on school because at the end of the day, like if you blow your knee out, right. And some guys live off of this, like, and they're fortunate, like you're saying to be able to live off of paintball. But the reality is that it's not, it's not the NFL, right? We don't have some retirement plan and some 401k. So you just got to prepare yourself because what happens if you slip down the stairs and blow your knee out, right? Are you going to get a paycheck? Are your sponsor going to send you a bunch of guns? I mean, maybe, but I highly doubt it. Probably not. <laughs> so, but with that being said, like, you know, go to take some, some night classes, like chip away at it and, and put yourself in a position so that when push comes to shove, you, know, you have something to fall back on. And I've said that and encouraged that to people for a long time. Yeah. You know, or just... You know, find your path, figure out something that you really enjoy and do that or just get right. a job and, and work your job and, you know, work the paintball in into that. I mean, you know, there's like even you know, like Colt Roberts, for instance, Colt Roberts has a regular nine to five job that he does and he's able to fit paintball as, and he works hard and, 
being able to uh, you know make practices and make all the tournaments. And uh, but that's if you want it bad enough, man, you'll find a way to make it happen. Yeah, I yeah. totally agree, man. Look at you. You're living the dream. You're doing what you're good at. <laughs> I was happy when you got all this going. I remember when you came out and you were working on Transcend. And uh, you're trying to get, you know, everything kind of sorted. And uh, when I saw this come out, I was really happy for you. Well, basically, Transcend was kind of what PVA was, but, you know, four years ago. And that was also a casualty of the recession, you know. So oh, yeah. yeah. It was one of those things. But it's, this, it's important to me, man. I mean, you know, it's like you were saying, it sucks that there wasn't the webcast back around when, you know, back then. And that I feel that all the time. That's one of the reasons, I mean, that we're doing this and trying to, you know, spread the paintball gospel as much as we possibly can is because there are these fascinating things going on and the best guys in the entire world play in this league and when they play against each other, it fireworks happen, man, and it's really interesting to see what happens to these guys in these trials and, uh, and, and for the legacy of the sport, you know? I mean, yeah. we got to have yeah. it. There's got to be, if for a sport to exist, there needs to be heroes, history, an <laughs> ongoing narrative, spectacle, and some statistics to back up and quantify all those things. And if you don't yeah. have those things, don't really have a sport. It's not the same thing. I was actually listening to, uh, it was uh, Real Sports with Brian Gumbel, which is a really awesome show on HBO, and they were having that conversation about what a sport is. And, you know, I mean, paintball is obviously a sport, and it's played by you know, millions of people around the world. And, uh, and a lot, there's, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of teams all over the globe too. And, you know, we're just trying to highlight the very, very peak of that and try to get as many other stories out there as possible too. I mean, there's a lot of, it's also, cause you've seen that I've personally seen this because I do the college show too. And, you know, I've seen all the divisional finals and, and, uh, the level of play at the divisional level and at the college level and also in Europe too. I mean, it just, things have just gotten better and better and better. And uh, I think that's just evolution doing its work. I, I don't think that's like a, some, it's not rocket science, uh, <laughs> but, but it's no. cool to see though. You know, it's really cool to go to these, to these events year after year and see the evolution of not only the professional side of things, but see the evolution of how, you know, that is then, you know, kind of trickling down to the divisional ranks as well. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and I like the history you guys are building. You know, you guys archive all the video footage and all the statistics. And uh, I was watching uh, some trauma head videos, right? from, uh, I don't know, 2001. I watched when the All-Americans won on that hyperball field with a snake in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was just thinking, like, man, how many kids probably have no idea what this event is or where this was or who these guys are. But in 10 years from now, people will remember it because we have video footage to go back and you have statistics to go back and look at. And at least there's going to be a history built from, you know, from the time that you guys started PB Access. So I think that's exciting. Well, it, you know, it, it's it's important, too, because, man, you, you, we got to start somewhere. And, you know, every single person that plays the game is, um, you know, somebody that's that's pushing this activity forward in the world as something that's fun to do and something that's worth your time. You know, I mean, paintball is definitely an incredibly fun thing to do. I think that's – and everybody gets that. But, you know, it's a very constructive thing to do as well. And and uh, it can bring you experiences that it's, that are hard to find in other places because it is – you know, such a potent thing on the field. And then because you are exposed to this incredibly heightened mental activity and you, you know, the adrenaline pump is so hardcore that all the people that you're in this activity with, then, you know, that's why everyone's always talking about their team, like, oh, family this and brothers that. And, you know, I'm just glad to be back with my brothers. And, you know, this one family, one team, like that whole paintball cliche thing. But that exists for a reason. It's because when you're in those heightened states of awareness and when you're doing with certain specific people, well, lo and behold, it builds these bonds that are just insanely potent, you know, and it's, 
Yeah, I know. I totally agree, man. It's like when you're traveling with all these guys and you see them, you know, every other day of your life, and especially when you're in all these weird situations, whether it's battling out on the field or running down the streets of somewhere in Europe, right? These these memories are now ingrained in your head, and they're with these specific people. And uh, you know, that is why everyone's like that cliche of being family and brothers. Yeah, and it also go. I mean, it goes to people and other teams too, and. And I think, but that's actually kind of one of the things that hurts paintball a little bit because, you know, rivalries build, conflict builds interest. And guys have spent so much time battling each other over the years and have such a great mutual respect for each other that it's, t- it's tough to get yeah. guys to actually, even if they don't like somebody, it's actually hard to get them to say that. And, you know, I don't want to turn this into WWE, but, you know, at the same time, I mean, it's like that would, I mean, having there be some little bit more of intense rivalries would definitely help things as far as yeah. the sport is concerned. I, I miss that. That's one thing I missed was when Philly was coming up and we were always knocked out by the Ironman from 07, right, 08, and part of 09, we were always knocked out by the Ironman. And, and Oliver was better, and Nikki and, and Mr. U and Mike, and they always beat us. And then we built our team literally to beat them. And then when we started beating them, Right, it was such a great feeling, and I remember I used to, I've known Oliver for twelve years, and there was a long time when he was on the Ironman where I hated Oliver. I couldn't stand looking at him, and I was I would get so angry playing the game, and I'd look forward to just playing the Ironman for months. Right, it built up for that one thirty-minute match, and it was that that was a great feeling. You know, like when we first got on Arsenal, and I played one year with Arsenal, me and Oliver together. I got to the first tournament, I was like, I still can't even look at this guy. I can't, I can't. I, I don't like. I'm supposed to be on a team with him. And we ended up rooming together, and now we're, like, really good friends. <laughs> but, you know, like, that rivalry was such an amazing feeling. Like, Oliver was always like, I hated you. I didn't know you were a nice guy. And I was like, it was the same thing for you. Well, rivals bring out the best in you, man. You know? I mean, it, that's – when you really intently – I mean, like, ex- when we film, formed Excessive, we formed Excessive to be Dynasty. Mm-hmm. And because they were the best, and we wanted to be the best, and we'd been on teams that were the best before, and so we brought all these hard-hitting dudes together, and we're like, all right, we're building a team, and we're going to work our asses off to beat the, this team. And even though we were close friends with all those guys, we, it was a bitter rivalry, and we the words were ex- always exchanged on the field, and, I mean, just heartless stuff sometimes. I remember one time Nikki Cuba just screaming at Alex so much and, like, can't remember exactly what he said, but he was pretty disrespectful. And Nicky's, you know, that type of player. He wants to get inside your head, and he definitely let Alex let him get inside his head. And uh, and Al- but Alex felt like he had been disrespected, and they actually had to have words after that and to to squash that. And uh, I think they might even been roommates at the time. I'm not sure if Nicky was living with me or not, but but anyway, but it's it still is very interesting, and there are those rivalries out there. Um, but it's, it's just, it's interesting to see for sure. Yeah. I hope there's some new ones that build up. I mean, it's, I hope that there's some like the all Americans and, and aftershock and you guys and dynasty. I hope that, I mean, hopefully I'm involved with it because I love that rivalry. I love that feeling of just pure anger when you look down the other side of the field. So I'm hoping that, that, that builds up, but if nothing else, it's fun to watch two other teams get to that point. Yeah, no, definitely. And but the thing is, is like, another thing I think is important is that everyone needs to take ownership of. Of, of the the of the the force that they have inside themselves to help sp- to talk about paintball and to get out what's happening out there because the more that people talk and and you know because I mean why would you want to watch a fight you know when you're sitting there and the UFC's coming up or a big football game's coming up and uh, and it's tough to know every single thing about every single football team and every single rivalry out there but if one if you like football and one of your buddies is like hey Michigan's playing Michigan State this weekend and here's why you should watch it there's a much better chance that you're going to actually watch that than you know, then because if, if you don't hear yeah. about it, like no one wakes up in the morning and cares about anything. No one wakes up in the morning and goes, 
oh man, I really wonder what's happening with Houston Heat today. Unless <laughs> something happens to create a nugget of interest and a, a kernel of of uh, a fascination so that they can try to build upon that. And you know, that's what PBA exists for, man. That's why we're here. We're here to try to get these stories out. And, you know, you guys go to Houston Heat. Well, hell, let's talk about it. Why? What's the details? You know, I mean, it's important. It's like there's this fascinating book by a guy named Malcolm Gladwell, and he breaks down like it's called The Tipping Point. All of his books are badass. I recommend every single one of them. Outliers is amazing. But uh, but The Tipping Point is really good and, and because it it's talks about how certain things get to a tipping point and then, you know, how they become something that's like an underground sport and then all of a sudden how does it become huge? And it goes through a, so – I mean, that's, that would be like a whole other two-hour long conversation. But essentially uh, one of the things with the, the uh, concepts in that book is called The Law of the Few. And he talks about three different types of people that essentially motivate change. And they are the spreaders of mental um, epidemics, whatever it may be, a concept, a product, you know, whatever it is. And those things are, those, those types of people are connectors, mavens, and salesmen. And a connector is somebody that knows tons of people. They collect friends like other people would, you know, collect video games or something. <laughs> and, uh, and then you have the mavens, and the mavens are people that collect information. And they compulsively need to know things. And, and then you have salesmen, and that's self-explanatory. That's somebody. And so he breaks down, like, each one of these personality types and how they helped with certain fundamental explosions of, of certain concepts. And the, one of the most fascinating stories that he, ta- that he talks about is Paul Revere. Have you heard this story before? No, I haven't. Actually. I mean, I'm sure you know everyone knows Paul Revere, but oh, Paul Revere, right? Yeah, yeah, Paul Revere, right? You know, like the British are coming right to the, the countryside. But the thing about that particular story that's interesting is that, you know, Paul Revere was uh, at the time he was a successful silversmith. He had a you know a, a really big shop, and and he was incredibly well respected within the you know eastern seaside communities around Boston, essentially, Concord, Lexington, those sorts of areas. And at the time, there was seven different militias, and he was one of only two people that belonged to more than just a couple. He was in five different militias. And randomly, a, uh, a stable boy comes up to him after overhearing a British officer saying something like, there's going to be hell to pay tomorrow afternoon. And this kid thought that that was kind of weird, and so he went to to Paul Revere because Paul Revere was the man. And so he goes to Paul Revere and says that. And Paul Revere put one and two together. And he realized that all this information he'd been hearing recently from all these different people, because he's a connector, but he was also a maven too. He was somebody who collects information. So he was collecting information about the British and their activities and all the different things that were going on. But he was so well-respected across the countryside that when he got on his horse, and the thing that a lot of people don't know is there was another guy that got on his horse too to spread the same message. And Paul Revere went one way and he went the other way. But this other guy was not able to make that that message sticky. He wasn't able to, you know, he didn't know whose door to knock on at three o'clock in the morning when going through a little hamlet, a little town to let know, hey, the British are coming. Grab your guns, boys. We need to go and fight. And, uh, and, and so if this one kid hadn't gone up to this particular guy, Paul Revere, at that particular time and told him this particular thing, you know, the, the, at least the very beginning of the American Revolution, because the British came and they beat us at Lexington, but then they went to Concord and we beat them up at Concord. 
And, uh, and we won that first battle and that was, you know, that was what ignited the American revolution and with the first W for us. And, uh, but it was this one guy, Paul Revere, who happened to be this special type of person. And so it's like across the world, you have these people who are pushing paintball in their certain areas. They may own fields or, you know, maybe somebody predominant, like Bart Yakmax, a perfect example. You know, I mean, he has the means to, you know, have a big team and you have these guys that are paintball patrons and, you know, they're the ones that are the prime movers kind of getting things going. And, you know, the more, and everyone's got their own unique skill set. So whether you're in a connector or a maven or, you know, or a salesman, but that's how we can try to push paintball forward. And I think it's kind of important, you know? Yeah, that's it. I like that. I like the categories of people in those little three areas. Yeah. So I'm going to keep my eye out for that. I'm like, ooh, that guy, he's a maven. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, just read that book. It's it's really interesting. Tipping Point, Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah, definitely. I, uh, I'm always looking at ways to expand my horizon. Plus, I got a lot of time traveling, so I can really put into some reading some books. Yeah, check it out for sure. Uh, well, cool, man. So what else you got going on? Um, you're working for GOG now, right? Yep. Uh, GOG and uh, DLX. So we uh, sell both product lines. And uh, you know, this is kind of a good fit for me because now instead of going out and trying to decide which area I'm going to go, whether it was with my other sponsors or with my employer, you know, I wasn't really sure how to promote it. Now I can just tie it all together and do one and, and uh, let everybody see the best marker out there, which is the Lux, and uh, go around all these clinics and tournaments and show them to uh, all the different players and dealers. And, uh, you know, I'm excited about that. It makes my life a lot more simplistic. Nice. Well, that's good, man. I'm happy for you. It seems like I think Heat's going to be a good fit for you guys. It's a really cool story. Can't wait to see how it plays out next year. So just make sure you keep us updated with everything. Yeah, definitely, man. The boys are back. The boys are back. Yeah, it's going to be, yeah, it's crazy. The Philly Americans reunited underneath the Heat banner, and Heat is completely reinvigorized too now after losing the Russians. So yeah, it's going to be stuck. crazy. Yeah, well, Nick Slovak was in town this week. He was pumped. Yeah, it was so. it was funny. I, we did a, a, a podcast with him not too long ago, and, you know, I was kind of talking to him, and he's like, yeah, and I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know who we're picking up, but I know we're talking to some people. I can't say anything yet. But it could get a little crazy, and then sure enough, man, <laughs> it definitely got crazy. Well, hey, man, uh, any you want to give a shout out to your sponsors? I know you just talked about your employer. Any other sponsors out there you want to uh, plug? Yeah, GI, man. GI's got the best paint out there. They got some of the best sales reps. I mean, I can't thank them enough. Rab, Opie, Richmond, Cindy. I mean, they've all been amazing people. So if you guys are looking to uh, get hooked up with the best paint, give them a call. Cool, man. So, and Raza, Todd. Can't forget Todd, right? Daps can never forget Todd. Oh, I can't, can't forget that guy. Yeah. One of the best. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, thank you for sitting in. We really appreciate it and wish you best of luck in 2014. Definitely. Uh, you too, brother. I will see you in Dallas. Actually, maybe I'll see you in San Diego, but if not, I'll see you in Dallas. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, man. Come out here. Better call me. Yeah, I'm, I'll be out there for a while so we can get some uh, fish tacos. Yes, indeed. There's this place you got to eat called Oscars. It's pretty ridiculous. It's the best I'm a best fish taco, taco aficionado, so... Love it. All right. Well, well, hey, man, thank you for sitting in. Thank you guys out there for listening. And make sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and help share our content to the world, help us spread that paintball gospel. Thank you guys for tuning in to The Real Podcast. I'm Andy Marshall, Tim Montressor from now from Houston Heat. My God, it's going to be a crazy, crazy 2014. <laughs> and we will see you guys next time. Adios.